I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined for episode 190 by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, man. It has been a long time since you and I have been on a pod together. Yeah. Far too long. Yeah, it it definitely has. We are used to being on every week with each other, Um, so... The offseason is always a bit of a departure uh, from that schedule, but uh, hopefully all of our listeners out there have been doing well and, uh, you know, avoiding the the COVID-19 as best as they can. Uh, Keaton, how have you been faring these days? I've been fine. Um, I'm in a really lucky position with my job that we've been continuing to hire and grow through this. Because that's a perk about tech and being in the cloud is that we've all we haven't skipped a beat working from home, so we've been uh, we've been dispersed, but it's been very secure, and I feel very thankful for that. Yeah, that's always a huge plus. That's awesome. All right, so let's get right down to it. What we're going to talk about today, we have a lot on the schedule to talk about for the Red Sox. There's been a lot going on since we last spoke. 
Um, the Red Sox have announced their 2021 coaching staff. We're going to be discussing that. There's a few rumors, some interesting player news that, that we'll discuss, and then we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about the Rule 5 um, protection that just happened this past Friday. We'll mention the seven players that were added to the Red Sox roster, talk about some of those players, and then finally we'll get to your listener questions. But we are going to kick off tonight by announcing um, the Red Sox 2021 coaching staff and then talking about it a little bit. Um, So here are the following additions. Will Venable has been hired as the bench coach. Jason Veritek has been named the game planning coordinator. Ramon Vasquez has been named quality control slash coach interpreter. Uh, Kevin Walker has been named the bullpen coach. And then Dave Bush, Tim Hires, uh, Peter Fotze, uh, Tom Goodwin, and Carlos Fablis uh, have all resumed their jobs on Alex Cora's staff. Um, What do you make of the new hires here on the coaching staff? Is there anybody in particular that you're... Uh, intrigued by you know what do you what do you think of this this crop that's going to be headed into 2021 yeah uh two stick out uh will venable i think is a great hire um from the cubs um i think that's a great presence in the clubhouse and jason veritek now having a full-time gig and being around the team more i think what that says to me is that they know that a large part of their success in 2018 was the awesome chemistry of the team and what they had in the clubhouse. And I think they're trying to recreate that because they know that goes a long way in having a successful club and maybe even be able to overachieve expectations uh, with great chemistry. And I think those two getting uh, Venable and Veritek in the clubhouse every day now uh, signals to me that they're just making more of an effort to get back to that kind of clubhouse atmosphere uh, and hope that breeds the winning that we saw in 2018. Well, maybe not as much winning because that was quite a significant amount of winning. Um, But something close to it, at least. And this team can uh, maybe do a little bit more damage than they've done past two seasons. Yeah, I agree. Um, And and I like that all of these guys are pretty progressive. Uh, From what I've been reading about Will, Will Venable, he seems to definitely be on the cutting edge in terms of uh, use of analytics and his sort of clubhouse presence, like you mentioned, and then Jason Veritek with his, you know, in-game strategy and, and um, you know, his mastery of the game. I just remember the thing that stands out to me most about Jason Veritek when he was a player was the four no-hitters that he caught and just how he managed the pitching staff. And I just imagine that having two other minds like that to go along with the other talented members of this the staff here is just going to sort of elevate uh, even more that voice that Cora has, that progressive voice and that willingness to kind of uh, push the boundaries of, um, you know, gameplay and, and all that stuff and make the right decisions. It just seems like this could be a really dynamic uh, coaching staff that, you know, might be able to um, scrape a little, little bit of uh, an advantage on the margins just because of the decisions that these guys can make and, how they can impact the guys uh, in the clubhouse. I think you're absolutely right, Keaton, what you hit on about the the players in this clubhouse do seem to really respond uh, to the younger guys and the more progressive guys. So I think that this can only be a positive. Agreed. And a little bit of trivia too. Uh, Jason Veritek tied with Buster Posey for the most career no-hitters caught. 
Oh, I didn't realize that Posey had four. Where um, he did. Matt Cain was one of those, right? Yep. And then Bum uh, Garner. Bum Garner. Did um, Lincecum ever throw one? Two. Two. Oh wow! All right, I guess those are the games. We've... Yeah, Lincecum is like the weirdest guy. Not to go off on a tangent, but like multiple Cy Youngs, multiple no hitters, multiple World Series, and he's probably not a Hall of Famer. It's so weird. Yeah, that is. He was like a. Uh... A, a comet streaking across the sky for just a, a wee bit of time. But yeah, um, yeah, Tim Linscombe was fun. Sure was. Um, so let's move on from, from this. We did get some other really great news. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez has said that he is 100% healthy and ready to go in this offseason. He's recovered from his uh, myocarditis. Uh, myocarditis myocarditis thank you keaton um i have trouble with that one uh and he says that his goal is to have a fully healthy offseason and to throw 200 innings pitch next year the other thing that makes me excited about this is just knowing his relationship with cora um and how effectively cora was able to get across to eddie and push him um this seems like the best possible news we could have get gotten in regards to Eduardo Rodriguez for 2021. Absolutely. And I think there's still a lot to be, I guess, figured out. I, I'm glad that he feels healthy enough to go throw 200 innings, but I would be surprised since he's only done that once before or even, I think, he, yeah, he made it, right? Yep, he did make it yeah. once. Yep. Um, And I, that was the last time he was on the mound, and then he didn't pitch for an entire year. So I would be surprised if he was able to get to 200 again after not pitching for a year and like not even not pitching, but like he wasn't able to work out or anything because he had COVID. So I look forward to as much as he's going to be able to give us. And the fact that he's healthy is great news, but I'm still skeptical about being able to get up to a, a total of innings like that in this season after going through what he went through this year. Yeah, I am too. I don't think he'll get to that number. Um, but I do think that 150 is probably reasonable. Um, 150 plus, maybe even pushing yeah. for uh, 180 if he has a healthy off season and he's not a guy who um, you know, had anything wrong with his body structurally. It was just simply this COVID complication. Um, so if if everything truly is clear there and nothing you know rears its ugly head again, I I think that uh, this is honestly the best the Red Sox could have expected because when Matt and I had been talking before on this show, you know we were discussing the possibility of maybe not even having him involved in the rotation at all next year, not knowing if he was even going to be able to play baseball, um, and if he was, there was some serious possibility that, you know, he might only have a roll out of the pen going forward. So um, this is sort of unexpectedly good, I think. Agreed. But I don't even know if we're out of the woods on that yet because no one has ever, like like we haven't had somebody successfully come back to uh, back from COVID symptoms as severe that, that he's had, but we do know um, that there's a lot of lingering effects and there's, you know, that COVID fog or whatever that, like, Cam Newton's been complaining about. Um, Moncada said that he was massively fatigued, and it took a lot just to get to the ballpark every day. Um, and knowing that what 
Eduardo Rodriguez has gone through has been even more significant. I don't know if we're out of the woods on what his role could be. I mean, right now, you're right. This is the best news that we could have received at this point, but I don't think we're really going to know what he's going to be able to do until he actually gets back on the mound. Yeah, that's completely fair. It seems like there is very little rhyme or reason to uh, how COVID affects people's bodies. Um, you know, just those examples that you gave were were awesome examples. But on the flip side, um, you know, Freddie Freeman had a tremendously severe case uh, of COVID-19, so much so that he almost didn't play this year, and then he wins the MVP. So I just True. have no clue. Um, Wide range outcomes. Yeah, it just makes no sense. This thing is so befuddling. But that's for uh, someone else to figure out. And for us, uh, we just cross our fingers and hope that everything goes well with Eddie. And and if it does, that really changes the face of this rotation moving forward. Having him uh, locked in there with you know potentially a healthy Chris Sale come June, uh, all of a sudden this, this rotation is looking like a professional baseball team's rotation. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to watch another 2020 for an entire 162-game season. No, no, no one oh, needs boy. that. No one at all. Uh, interesting couple names have appeared uh, for the Red Sox. Um, these guys are now available-ish, and I wanted to get your thoughts on them. So the first one I wanted to get your thoughts on was Hunter Renfro, who was DFA'd by the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, after they traded for him from the San Diego Padres last year, he's one of the few guys who can play a really good right field. He's sort of a three true outcomes type of player. Um, but this is interesting because the market right now is really weak for center field and right field um, in this current crop of free agents. So having his name added to the mix uh, makes it interesting should the Red Sox move on from uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., if he leaves in free agency, and if they decide to move Verdugo to center field, seems like kind of a name that that could be interesting. Yes, very much so. Uh, and you know from our time on Dynasty Child, I love Hunter Renfro quite a lot. So I would love this. Um, 33 homers his last season with the Padres, uh, playing 140 games. That was the most that he had ever played. Uh, only 42 games with the Rays, but eight homers, so on a pace for 30-plus over an entire season again. Um, but has been getting better and better and better at getting on base. Uh, his walk rate has increased every single year he's been in the majors, and it got over double digits uh, for the first time in 2020. Uh, strikeout rate even dropped 5%. So he's a certainly has a three-true outcome, but being able to get on base more and rein in the walks there is some potential there for him to, to have some fun in an everyday role. And um, you know, I don't see why the Red Sox wouldn't you know, take a look at him because they have a need for that. Uh, even if they ended up you know, going for one of these bigger names uh, in a trade, uh, he is a wonderful fourth outfielder to have at an option off the bench. Um, so I, I really don't see any negatives in the Red Sox pursuing Renfro. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even really to say that um, if they pursued Renfro, it would have to be at the expense of moving Verdugo to center field. It could also be, you know, to play left field if they were able to trade uh, Andrew Benintendi somewhere or, you know, something like that. Um, he's an interesting guy. I don't think he would cost a ton. And I think that this was pretty clearly just a cost saving move 
by the Tampa Bay Rays. It, it doesn't seem like performance reasons why he was DFA'd. Nope. And this is just kind of what the Rays do, right? They get really close and then sell everybody. Like, apparently they're willing to sell Blake Snell now, which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of odd. Um one of the other guys that I've seen rumored from that team that could become available was a guy who I was kind of interested in in center field, and that's Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, he's going to make a bunch of money next year, um, and I expect that the Rays probably aren't super thrilled about playing that when they have Manuel Margot, who can play center field for a fraction of that money. Probably not quite as well, but you know, pretty damn well. He's a, he's another interesting option. Would you have any interest in bringing Kevin Kiermeyer into the Red Sox to fill in for JBJ? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't really think there's much of a downgrade there. Um, I think Jackie Bradley's a little bit better, but I might be biased. Uh, Kiermeyer is very, very talented center fielder. Um, I mean, they've, they've been rolling with JBJ now that it really is just kind of like swapping in another guy if they go for Kiermaier. So um, I don't think that would be outside the realm. And then, of course, there's the, the Tampa connection there with Bloom. So I think it would make sense, and I don't think I would have any uh, any pushback on it. Yeah, a couple of interesting possibilities nonetheless. Um, the other name that was very interesting, and uh, Keaton pointed this out to me. I completely missed this, but... Uh, Chris Bryant is uh, rumored to have been shopped to the Red Sox, and uh, they were looking at him to play left field there. Uh, he's coming off just a really weird situation um, with the Cubs, where he had a bad season last year. He only batted 206, four home runs. It was just by far the worst season of his career. He had that weird argument with the team about when he was going to become a free agent because they sort of screwed with his service time it seems like he's a very clear um option to you know find a a new new scene here a change of scenery guy for sure uh, he's going to be a free agent in 2022 what do you think about chris bryant you do you still like the talent here and do you think he's capable of a bounce back yep i sure do um, I mean, we saw it in with him in 2019. 2018, he had a uh, nagging shoulder injury that he probably shouldn't have been playing through, but tried to do it all the same. And his power suffered significantly, only hitting 13 homers and playing um, 102 games. But then he bounced back in 2019 with 31 homers, uh, hitting 282 with a 382 OBP, um, which is, oh, I mean, it's always been part of his game getting on base. So um, I find it extremely easy to write off struggling seasons because of just how weird the circumstances were around the entire league this year. And there's the widespread struggles of so many guys that are typically a lot better than they were. Um, so I can look past like a, a down 60 games. I mean, it was clearly down, but it's just so weird. Like, I don't know if I can like look at that and be like, yeah, this is the guy that he is going forward. I just don't believe that. So I, I would love to have him. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, we got a really interesting question about this from uh, James at 15 Higgins. He says, uh, what would you expect a trade package for Chris Bryant to look like? Will the Red Sox sell low on Ben Intendi uh, and include him or hold on to Benny and hope for a bounce back season in 2021? Um, I really like the idea that he has there of 
including Benintendi in this, um, because I actually think there's a lot of parallels uh, between these two players. We've been talking about Benintendi as a change of scenery type guy uh, who could really benefit from that. The Cubs are obviously undergoing a lot of changes, um, and the fact that Benny has one more year of control might make that damn close to a pretty even swap. I don't think the Red Sox would have to add a ton to Benintendi to make that swap, and I would way rather have Chris Bryant in left field for the Red Sox in that bat in the lineup than Benintendi's bat. Agreed. Um, he only has one year left. So he said like he's a free agent in 2022. So because Benintendi still has like th- three years left, he of- has this year and next year. So just two. Yeah. He has more control, which is more appealing to the Cubs, and he's also cheaper. Uh, so I completely agree. I don't think it would, it, like maybe Benny in a lower level prospect would get it done. I don't think you'd have to be like add much. But then, if the Red Sox still believe that Ben Tendy can be what he was in um, the 2017-2018 uh, and could kind of pick up from there, move forward, then again, because it's only one year left on Brian's deal, I don't think it would like hurt the farm significantly to acquire him if you wanted to hold on to Benintendi. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives to it. Um, it is interesting that they were talking over the summer. I don't know if that was before the season started or if over the summer is in reference to like the trade deadline this year. Um, but it is interesting that the talks have already taken place once, and it seems like that would be really easy to just pick those up and finish them. Um, here in the off season. So I, I'm a little bit hopeful that this might be able to happen uh, either with or without Benintendi. Yeah. I, I would love this so much. Uh, I think it would be just tremendous for the lineup. The on-base ability of Chris Bryant is just incredible over his career. He's a 380 OBP guy um, with yeah. a career 136 WRC plus. One of the things that kind of looks underwhelming looking at his profile is his exit velocities, but he's never really been a big exit velocity guy. It's just this launch angle is so ridiculous that um, launch angle coupled with his ability to barrel up the ball and, and, and drive it out of the park. He's just a really kind of efficient slugger. He's not really one of these guys that's going to nail moonshots all the time, but man, you look at his value. He's already put up 28.3 war in his career. It's You don't have to squint to see how this guy could transform the Red Sox lineup in a way that Ben Intendi just has no shot of doing. Yep. Totally agree. And I mean, the way that his swing like works, it's that like, just that quick line drive that just carries. I mean, he might hit the green monster so many times that he finally just puts one through it. Like, I just feel like his swing style is just tailor made for that wall. I completely agree. I think he's going to pop a lot of balls over that. So I'm, I'm kind of crossing my fingers for this one. This is something that wasn't even remotely on my radar. Um, and I'm yeah. super excited about it. So Yeah, it wasn't on mine until I, I saw that um, from Chris Cotillo on Twitter this morning and sent it to you. was like, didn't know this happened. <laughs> that, that's fun. Yeah, that's that is really fun. Um, very minor news here. Red Sox signed Michael Geddes to a minor league deal, uh, player for the Padres. Do you have any thoughts on Michael Geddes here, or is this just kind of 
throw in something at a wall and see if it sticks. Yep. I believe that's it. Yeah. All right. Nothing to see there. Nope. All right. So the big news uh, of this past week, well, I don't know. I don't, maybe this was just big news to me. I was like sort of all about this when it happened. I was kind of like live tweeting it as it came out. Um, but the Rule 5 protection uh, happened. The Red Sox had to add a bunch of players to their roster to make sure that they wouldn't be selected in the upcoming Rule 5 draft. So this past Friday, the Red Sox added seven players to their 40-man roster. Um, they added Brian Mata, Jay Groom, uh, Hudson Potts, Jason Rosario, Connor Wong, Connor Siebold, and a little bit surprisingly to some, uh, Edward Bazardo, who was left off of this list last year. Um, in order to do this, they had to remove three players because uh, they, they had that many spots left, but they had to DFA uh, Matt Hall and Ryan Weber, and they also outrighted Kyle Hart, so he's going to be back in the minor leagues. Um, what I want to do with these guys, Keaton, is sort of go through each of these names and kind of discuss what we can expect from their future uh, in their outlook and kind of when we might expect them to uh, get to to Fenway, and, and if we expect them to. So let's start off with the most exciting list name on this list, Brian Mata. He was probably the best player added. Um, what do you? What can people expect from Brian Mata, and and when do you think that he will, you know, make it to Fenway Park? Yeah, um, I think the role is still up in the air for him. Um, I kind of actually see him following the a path similar to Hauk in that he'll initially be given a chance to start, see what he can do with it, but then it's probably more likely slated to the bullpen. And obviously the way that Hauk's pitched, I feel a lot better about him uh, being able to remain a starter versus Mata. Um, just because Hauk was really, really impressive. Um, but I don't think he's that far off. Um, losing a season getting like really full development is a bummer. Cause I thought he probably had a chance at 2021 that probably just gets pushed back a year to 2022, but I think he's going to be first given a chance to start. Um, and de depending on how things go with a couple other names on this list, uh, I think he's probably more slated to a bullpen role. Um, but I think he could have a lot of success there. Uh, just kind of given his, his frame and his ability, his pitch mix. I don't, I just, I guess I still struggle to see him as a starter, but I think he could be really effective with his skill set as a reliever. So I think that's where he's going to end up going, but I think the Red Sox are going to give him a chance to start a few games in 2022 to see what he can do with them. Yeah, I agree that uh, I think they'll initially let him stay as a starter. This year strikes me as one that, will be kind of big for his development. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty impressive at the alternate site. And um, you know, he's a guy who has a great fastball, uh, slider, curveball, and changeup can all look pretty good at different times, but uh, not always at the same time. And, and you mentioned the big issue with him is just the command. Um, that's what kind of keeps him from uh, ultimately being a lock as a starter. But this is still a really good outcome for the Red Sox. 
wherever he ends up, whether that's in, in the rotation or whether that's as more of a late inning uh, bullpen arm, they signed him for $25,000 out of Venezuela. So this just, that's a pretty good developmental story for the Red Sox. And I think that this year will kind of go a long way. Um, I don't think we see him this year. I, I kind of think if we do see him, it's going to be for a cup of coffee in September. Yeah, and I think that's where you start to see the effects of 2020 because I think had he had a full season in 2020, that we probably would have seen him at some point in 2021. All right, next guy on this list, Jay Groom. Um, man, this guy, he's so befuddling. Um, Groom has thrown less than 70 innings in his professional career. The reports out of the alternate site where that he looked pretty good but then in instructionals he came in looking kind of out of shape as Sox prospects just recently reported um, his fastball and curveball haven't had the consistency that they had uh, when the Red Sox drafted him so those pitches haven't quite returned to where they are it's hard for me to imagine this guy putting it together at this point as as good as the potential stuff is what are your thoughts on Groom? Does he ever make an impact for the Red Sox? Do you think he's a trade candidate? I mean, what do you make of Jay Groom? Because I honestly don't know what to expect. I completely agree. I think there's just a high chance of him not contributing to the Red Sox at all, as there is uh, him making it to the majors in the first place. I think it's a complete toss-up. I mean, his biggest thing is that, I mean, you pointed it out, He's he just hasn't thrown, like, at all. And yeah. it's kind of running out of time to get this development in with a guy like him. So uh, he strikes me as someone that probably needs to go to a uh, another or, uh, organization and get a lot more tailored development than the Red Sox typically give to their uh, prospects and pitchers in particular i just i don't and the ceiling like the tantalizing ceiling and the nasty curveball and all that um it's nice to dream on but he's just as tantalizing as that is he's also wildly inconsistent so um if he just remains consistently inconsistent then he'll never he'll never find a path to the major so i i I don't know what to say at this point, but it feels like a guy where 2021 is going to be another big year. And if he starts to put things together, um, he's probably got still two years of development before um, he could do anything at the major league level. If he just like, if he has a good 2021 and then he has to have followed up with an even better 2022. Otherwise I think he's probably going somewhere else and he he may not be a, a factor in the majors at all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think that if he comes into spring training this upcoming year and isn't in the best shape of his life, uh without, you know, the goofiness surrounding that phrase. Um, I think that's major issues for Jay Groom's future because the Red Sox have really given this guy lots of opportunity. He has basically not screwed up royally in any sort of way. So to see him sort of losing focus at this point in his career um, is a little surprising to me. And that was a disappointing uh, report to read. So um, I'm at that point where I'm more of a doubter than I am a believer. I'd say, I, I think there's like a five to 10% chance that he actually ever becomes anything for the Red Sox at this point. Yep. Agreed. Next name on the list, Hudson Potts, uh, an interesting name. Uh, one of the two guys that was acquired in the Mitch Moreland trade from the Padres, uh, along with Jason Rosario, who we're going to talk about in a second. Um, Hudson Potts, big time swing and miss guy, kind of reminds me of the uh, Chavis Dahlbeck type player. Um, what do you think about Potts? Do you expect him to see the majors at all this year? Um, and if not, what's his role in the future for you? Good question. I guess there's an outside chance I could see him. Um, again, losing a year of development is tough. He hasn't played above double A, so he has to get time at triple A at some point. Um, maybe he gets a lot of that time in 2021. Uh, it's still, yeah. I mean, even with that, it still kind of feels like 2022 would be the earliest, but it's probably not a bad thing because they have a ton of middle infielders, um, just infielders in general at the major league level that they need to figure out what to do with in 2021, like Javis being one of them. Um, then maybe after 2021, there's a little bit more clarity there and he might be able to, you know, poke his head in the mix. Um, for 2022. So I think that's probably the earliest. Um, and I think there's, they just have a lot of like similar guys. Like you said, he's, he's pretty similar to Javis and Talbach and they need to figure out what they have in these guys. Um, and kind of make a commitment to a couple of them here, either as like consistent playing time or bench rolls. And it seems like that's probably where Chavis is headed. Um, as I guess all signs point to second base being, um, what's his face? Arroyo's. The boss baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to figure out what's going on with him. They need to figure out what's going on um, with Yario Munoz and what they're going to do with him. Another middle infielder. Uh, so there's a lot of depth ahead of him, but it's not significant depth. It's mm-hmm. guys that can be pretty interchangeable. So I need to figure out what they're going to do with those guys at the major league level in those positions and then kind of be like, all right, well, let's move on down to the next crop of guys and see what we got in them. And that kind of feels like where his role is and probably in 2022. Yeah, it definitely seems like with, with Potts, there's still a lot of development time left, uh, like you mentioned. And 
He played in Double A for the Padres, and they uh, Sox prospects has him projected to start at Double A for the uh, the Sea Dogs next year. So that's probably where he'll end up, and hopefully he can cut that K rate down. But Potts sure seems like just another one of these guys with massive amounts of swing and miss. I'm not incredibly optimistic about him, and I don't think we see him this year either. Um, Jason Rosario is a little bit of an interesting name. Uh, we got some reports from uh, Instructs about him and that he was basically uh, not that impressive. Um, one of the things with Jason Rosario is that he just has these prolific walk rates and doesn't strike out a ton. He's a pretty athletic fielder, but he just kind of has no power and not a lot of projection uh, in his frame. So to me, this guy's kind of looking like a fourth outfielder type. Uh, if that, I don't know if there's any reason that he gets on the roster uh, later on this year. I kind of think he's going to spend the entire time in the uh, minor leagues unless some sort of an injury happens. And, you know, I'm not all that excited about Jason Rosario. I know that Matt is more excited about him. So I'm curious as to... Uh, what your thoughts are on him. Yeah, I'm more excited about him too. Uh, I love me some J2s. Um, and this was a guy that had quite a bit of buzz when he was first signed by the Padres, so I think it's an interesting play that he, the Red Sox were able to get him. Um, he's still pretty young, though. Um, he's 20 years old now, so I think he still has a lot of growth to go. And... Um, even though he did spend time at the alternate site, I think he's a guy that really could benefit from an entire season, like going through a minor league season with the Red Sox and the Red Sox development. So I think he could take step forward that we're looking for in 2021. Um, but he's another guy that, like, um, Jaron Duran is certainly ahead of him. I would expect Duran uh, in Boston far sooner than Rosario, but because of his age and he is probably starting um, at double A, he's still probably like two years out, like late 2022, probably more looking towards 2023. Um, there's probably some roster things that'll get figured out with a, a timeline that far out. So I, th- I think there's still some development and projection to go, but I'm excited to see it happen here with the Red Sox and maybe they can unlock some things that um, some of that, profile that was seen when he was scouted as a J2 fella. Yeah, and and for an organization that's sort of uh lacking in uh outfield depth, that's you know, certainly a a good acquisition by them. They basically got Potts and Rosario for a month of uh Mitch Moreland. So that trade looks damn good. Yep. Sticking with the projected Portland Sea Dogs lineup for next year. Uh, Connor Wong, the catcher, um, he's an interesting guy. The Red Sox also are pretty weak at catcher in the organization. He is also projected to start at uh, Portland. Um, Connor Wong's an interesting guy. He's got a really nice swing geared for power. He gets to it a decent amount, but he also strikes out a ton. But he's got a lot of athleticism. You know, I don't know if this is right or not, but I just get the gut feeling that Connor Wong is going to end up being at least a backup catcher in the major leagues. And I kind of think that he will eventually play for the Red Sox. Yeah, I think he could be more than that, too. I think his development 
here is kind of lining up with, um, like I think Vasquez has two years left. I got another year of Ploiecki. Um, so that's probably going to be it um, for next year. And then the year after that is when things kind of start going. He could probably back up Vasquez in 2022. And then depending on what they want to do with Vasquez, who um, will be 31 at the time, then um, maybe they hand the reins to him to be the, the starter there. But um, I don't think anybody really has depth at catcher. So I don't think the Red Sox are like uh, starting in a negative position there compared to the league. But they have um, Wong here who at least has a little shred of hope. Uh, which is a lot more than some others can say for that position. So I think what they have at the majors now is great. Um, And they do have depth with those two at the major league level, but throughout the rest of the system, it's pretty sparse. But uh, Wong could certainly make an impact and be the Red Sox everyday catcher 2023 and beyond. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he ended up being the everyday catcher um, just based on some of the attributes that he has now. I think... He'd probably, I, I differ from you there. I think he probably would have to take a couple significant steps in his development forward. I think I would be more inclined to sign Vasquez to, you know, another three-year deal or something like that, even in his 30s, than I would to give the role over to Connor Wong. But I think he could be really interesting as a backup because I also think that he could serve as uh, infield depth potentially at third base or second base or some of these other positions due to his athleticism. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. Next name on the list. Um, another great trade acquisition. Connor Siebold uh, was added to the roster. Siebold was acquired in that Papelbon or not Papelbon. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking workman. Yeah. The workman deal. Um <laughs> Thinking Philly, man. Um, but yeah, um, but Workman was acquired for Papelbon. So that is kind of funny. Um, yes. So Jonathan Papelbon, not who I'm talking about. Brandon Workman, Heath Embry uh, netted you Connor Seabold, which is just kind of crazy because Seabold is a pretty interesting guy. He, he seems to be uh, pretty far along, could be up with the Red Sox as soon as next year at some point. Decent pitch mix. Nothing really stands out other than the changeup, um, but kind of profiles as a back-end starter. So what are your thoughts on Seabold? you excited about him? Do you think that this is kind of more of a, a depth back-end option? What do you see here with, with Seabold? Yeah, I mean, he's a bit on the older side. Uh, he'll be 25 for the whole season. Um, so that's, I guess he's a bit further along uh, than most of... Red Sox higher end prospects. However, he was electric in the alternate site and just had rave reviews from what he he was able to put together. And with the Red Sox starting pitching in the state that it's in, uh, particularly the beginning of the season before they get Chris Sale back, I think there's a real chance that we could see um, Seabold as like the fifth starter uh, at some point or getting multiple starts in a row uh, at some point in 2021 just based off of the hype that he had from the alternate site and his age. Yeah, I like him too. Um, I think he probably profiles for me more as a fifth starter on a good team. Um, If he can 
show that his stuff translates to the major leagues. I guess I have a couple questions as to whether or not this stuff, because so much of it is just average, uh, whether or not that's going to really translate. So I'd need to see it, but I am optimistic uh, about Seabold. I guess I'm not as bullish as you, it sounds like, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. The last guy here is maybe the most interesting. Uh, we have to give Ian Cundell of Sox Prospects some props here, but Edward Bizzardo is a name that they mentioned uh, basically right before this thing went down as a potential candidate to be the seventh guy. Everybody had been talking about these six names being a lock, but um, Bizzardo has had some really interesting reports coming from Instructs. So his fastball in 2019 had been 91 to 95 miles an hour. It instructs it was sitting 93 to 97, um, oftentimes in that 95-96 velocity band, according to Sox prospects here. Um, and then his curveball, which has always been an elite spin rate pitch, uh, is over 3,000 RPMs, and people were doing nothing with the pitch. This is all super exciting because Eduardo Bazzardo also has really good command. Uh, to go along with all this stuff. So all of a sudden, uh, this combination is sounding more and more like a potential pretty damn good bullpen arm. I hesitate to say back end because I want to see how it plays, but man, like that's a good combo for for a, a reliever. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I want to see it here at the major league level consistently. Before I buy into it, to me, I'm still maybe I'm not uh, buying into to hype. I mean, the biggest thing that bothers me about him is that his name isn't Eduardo Bizardo. <laughs> but I find like I really have to stop myself at Edward and not adding that extra O there. But um, that's my problem, so I'll deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think the Red Sox have just a bunch of mediocre. I mean, we we put. We've talked about this pulpit enough. I think people kind of get where it's at. Yeah. Um, so I hope that he can emerge from that group and stand out and get a lot of use. Um, but I don't think I'm going to believe it until I see it from him yet here at the major league level. Hey, that's fair. I mean, he's a six foot right-handed relief option. There are yep. about a bajillion of those floating around. So yep. um, he is definitely going to have to prove that. Those gains can hold up and that his command holds up at the major league level. But um, when we talk about a starter set for, for a good back-end reliever, certainly sounds like he is uh, inching closer to, to possessing that. So I like the move by the Red Sox to go ahead and protect him. Uh, I definitely think that he probably would have been taken. So that makes a whole lot of sense to me with how much crap is still sitting on this 40-man roster. So with that in mind, I guess let's talk about the crap that's still on the roster. Um, <laughs> it, it sits at 40, but there are still a lot of iffy names on it. Um, the following names I have is guys that I think have a, a pretty damn good chance of, of being off of this roster uh, by next year. So what we're going to do is play a game of uh, whether or not they will be on the 40-man roster to start the year. So CJ Chatham, will he be on the forty man to start the year? No, I agree. I will go no. Marcus Wilson, no, I agree. Chris Mazza, 
unfortunately. <laughs> I, I agree. He will be on it. Uh, Marcus Wilson. Or, I'm sorry, Marcus Walden. <laughs> um, yeah, he probably will. I'm going to say no for him. I think uh, his stuff is degraded enough that they have better options, a la Eduard Bizzardo. Uh Austin Bryce. Yes. I agree. Dustin Pedroia. No. I agree. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to see how that is going to be handled. I still have kind of no clue how it's going to work, but I'm still getting the feeling that this is the offseason that that happens. Yep. Robert Stock. Yes. I agree. I don't know why, um, but they seem to like Stock, and I've taken to following him on Twitter, and I yeah. like him now too. So um, that probably has nothing to do with baseball. Uh, Jeffrey Springs. No. I agree. I don't like him very much. I know Matt has an odd fascination with him. He's talked about him. I think he, Matt has a lot of merits to what he says about Jeffrey Springs. Um, the strikeout stuff is pretty good. Matt was a masochist and wrote like 1,200 words on Springs uh, a couple weeks ago. So if you want to read about him, you can do that there. He is a lefty, which might make him survive on this list. The last two guys on this list are lefties. So I, I wonder if that will factor into things because Red Sox don't really have a ton of lefties here. Nope, they don't. They could go get a better one. So. <laughs> it's a novel concept. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the last guy, uh, Yuan Ibar, a, a hard-throwing lefty that's still pretty damn raw. Yeah, probably. I want him to stay on. See, I would. I am of the mind, so we've talked about this before, Matt and I, Jeffrey Springs versus Yuan Ibar, sort of that that guy who already is major league ready versus the raw guy in Ibar who could potentially be better than Springs down the road, but really is nothing right now. Who do you pick on a roster like this? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I know Springs is already there in the majors, but we know what he is and it's terrible. I'd rather take a shot at someone who might be better. Yeah. Or potentially two years from now could be even worse than Springs. So I I get that point, but I think you got to go with, with the guy who has has slightly more upside. Yeah. You don't know what he is and the there's more excitement in an unknown than someone who you know is shit. Yeah, totally. All right, let's get to our listener questions before we get on out of here. Um Brett Cowett, uh old member of this podcast way back in the day at BP Boston. Uh, Brett says, Can we ban the usage of player X has good stats at stadium Y reasonings? Is um this is a direct shot at everybody pointing out Ozuna hit some home runs in Fenway Park. Probably. Um, it is probably Ozuna Shade here. Um, but, I mean, I don't know, man. This never bothers me, honestly. This seems uh, a little bit nitpicky to me. What, do you, what are your take? Has this ever bothered you? Not in the slightest. And sometimes there are actual reasons for why people are successful, like Left-handed hitters are successful in Yankee Stadium because right field is a porch. It's like six feet away. So I mean, sometimes those things can be explained through park factors. So, Yeah. Yeah, it strikes me as something that isn't the end-all be-all, but certainly is something that is a data point worth referencing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Brett. 
Uh, Gordon Constock has a next, the next question. He says, would you rather have a guaranteed title in the next five years or a guaranteed player who, uh, who ends up a lock for the Hall of Fame? Over the next 10 to 15, like Devers extending or retiring in Boston or Bogey putting up five to seven war seasons here for the next half decade, picking one doesn't prevent the other. And that's sort of the, the important point here to me is that these are not mutually exclusive. So apparently if you pick one of the Hall of Fame guys, you could still potentially get a World Series out of there. It just won't be guaranteed. What would you take? I like titles. I like titles too, um, and that would normally be my answer. Um, but I would rather see Bogey put up like five to seven war seasons for the next half decade, retire as the greatest Red Sox shortstop ever, and us to have a chance to win the World Series in a bunch of those years uh, and maybe do it than know that it was going to happen. Um, that's kind of what is more attractive to me at this point in my life. What if it flips, though, and um, Devers was the surefire Hall of Famer over the next 10, 15? I think I'd be okay with that, too. Um, He's a fun guy. He's just really exciting to watch. I love the bat there. Um, You know, I think a player like that in their prime, if they really are Hall of Fame level good, you're going to be able to build a team around those guys as long as your team is actively trying to and spending money. So I kind of think that by picking, you know, either Devers or Bogey being bananas good for half decade to a decade, uh, you're giving yourself a bunch of good shots to win the World Series. What if the surefire Hall of Famer was Michael Chavis? I'll take the title. All right, next one from Angel Rondone. He says, uh, has Benny been ruined by the launch angle craze? It seems that he's being forced into becoming more of a power hitter. And when he put on some weight before the 2019 season, he tried to lean out for the 2020 season, yet the struggles continue. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Do you think that he was prone to the launch angle stuff? Or do you think he, I mean, he he definitely beefed up uh, when he kind of knew he was going to be in left field. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, his launch angles have all been, I mean, except for 2020, pretty elite in like mid-teens. So it's not like he's put more effort into hitting, like focusing on launch angle because he's just had that natural ability in his swing. Um, his issues are just the hard contact really took a dip in the second half of the season and uh, in 2020, which I think goes back to when Cora was saying he needed to be more hitterish. So I don't, I mean, his launch angle actually was below average for the first time in 2020. So I don't think he was selling out for launch angle because it was impossible for him to get any of it. So he just has natural loft in his swing. Um, he just needs to focus on hitting the ball. Yeah. I think more than anything, Benintendi needs to focus on being more athletic um, and, and, and being a little bit looser. Um, and honestly, man, he just strikes me as a, he just needs to find a new home. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to work for him here, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Keaton looking at those launch angles, there's 
very little evidence that uh, even in the years that he bulked up, that he sold out for the launch angle uh, to me. So I agree. Definitely more problems there than just launch angle for Benny. Yep. Um, but he also has a second question. He says, if the Red Sox go for a player with a qualifying offer, isn't it just common sense to go for Bauer and bring back JBJ for two to three years? I think if you're going to do it, Bauer is about as good a player to do it for if you're going to lose the pick. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the only one that I would want to lose the pick for. I wouldn't want to lose um, it for DJ LeMahieu, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of guys that I don't want to lose a pick and pay $18 million to, but Bauer, if he's going to be a Cy Young, that's worth it. Sure. He's probably the only one. Yeah, and I have no problem with JBJ for two to three years, so that makes a bunch of sense to me. Um, that being said, I don't think the Red Sox go the Bauer route, um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you're, if you're locking up Bauer for, for a bunch of years, that seems to make sense. Yep. Uh, um, Get on base says, do you see a possibility of both Brad Hand and Corey Kluber landing in Boston? Sure, and I would welcome that. Um, Corey Kluber was a guy that I pointed out, I think, the last time you and I were on this um, podcast. I can probably be had for just about nothing because he's had back-to-back heavily injury-plagued seasons um, and was just dumped by Texas. So um, could probably get him on a, like, work your way back into the good graces of the league deal. Um, I don't know about a minor league contract, but maybe, I mean, something small. Uh, and then the hands, um, the Red Sox need all the, like, potential bullpen arms they could get. So uh, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised um, if uh, Kluber on a cheap deal or uh, a hand on a cheap deal both ended up in Boston, for sure. I wouldn't be surprised about Brad Hand. Um, and I think that the market has already shown that teams don't think he's worth $10 bucks. Um Everybody had a chance at him at ten million bucks, and everybody passed. I think he could get a two-year deal or something like that with the Red Sox, and I think Hand would make a ton of sense. Corey Kluber, uh, the valuations I've seen on him from a bunch of reputable sites that sort of try and do their best to project these things, have shown him at anywhere from between eight to twelve million bucks per year even after basically being a non-factor for the last couple of years, which is shocking to me. And I don't know if this is true, but I feel like I remember Corey Kluber having Boston on his list of places where he didn't want to go as well uh, when he was pitching with the Indians. So I would be pretty damn surprised at Corey Kluber in Boston just due to those two pieces of information. Yeah. All right. That changes my mind. I he threw three innings last year. Yeah, I don't know why on That's earth. a lot of money to give to a yeah. guy that clearly has much more risk than... Um, yeah, I mean, he's closer to a bust, far closer to a bust than his you know, perennial Cy, Rung, Cy Young self. I figured five would probably be like the max he could find, but if he's getting 12 somewhere. Yikes. No, that's not in Boston. Nope. No, not at all. Uh, last question, Sox Junkie says, does Benny need to see a sports psychologist? 
Maybe. Um, wouldn't want to presume to make a projection on anybody's mental health, but uh, works for me. So maybe it'll help him. Yeah. No, uh, no shame if he does. Um, but yeah, anything to uh, to help out Ben Intendi. Uh, if if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. All right, Keaton. Well, that has been our show today. Um, if you enjoyed the show, you should go ahead and rate and review us. You can also subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, the other thing that you should do is follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at Zeb Jake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Uh, Keaton, are you working on anything right now that you want to tell the people about? Nothing. Taking a nice. Uh, I've been doing the roundtables, but we're taking a break from that this week. So, um, I'm still in the like. It's too close to the end of the season to be geared up for 2021 yet. To so I'll probably, you know, later in the off season start turning stuff out. There you go. Got to gotta let the off season unfold a little bit. Um, for me, I have a piece on Alex Verdugo uh, coming out today as you are listening to this. So it's probably on the site right now or about to be. Um, so check that out. And uh, that is pretty much it that I've done on OTM for a while. Um, so, yeah. We do hope you enjoyed it, and uh, Keaton, I hope you have a lovely Thanksgiving, and happy Thanksgiving to all of the listeners that make this show possible for us. 